Hey everyone, welcome to The Brown Breakdown. I'm your host, Aporva Gandetti. Every episode, I get to sit down with South Asian artists of all types at all different levels of their careers to understand the tools necessary to build a life as an artist. We'll be talking about everything from turning a hobby into a career, obstacles along the way, breaking tired stereotypes, and changing the media landscape to be more inclusive. My first guest is Amrita Sanjana Singh. Born in Tamil Nadu, India and raised in Hyde Park, Chicago, Amrita is a writer-director with her MFA in filmmaking from NYU Tisch School of the Arts, where she was a Willard T.C. Johnson Fellow and later served as adjunct faculty. As a filmmaker, she finds inspiration in the cultural specificity and power of a quiet love, one built on sacrifice and the things often left unsaid. Her recently completed thesis short film, Winning in America, is a coming-of-age narrative that follows Aishwarya Narayan as she clashes with her immigrant coach father and questions the meaning of success while vying for a spot at the prestigious National Spelling Bee. Prior to her studies at NYU, Amritha worked as an office PA and writer's assistant for the Lee Daniels show, Empire. In addition to working for Siren Media, a talent accelerator for women and BIPOC filmmakers, Amrita is currently developing her first feature film, Water Tank Road, a post-colonial ghost story that takes place in the lush mountains of Nagar Coil, South India, and dabbles in magical realism. Hi, Amrita. Hello. Welcome to Brown Breakdown. Thank you so much for being my first interviewee. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. Amrita, did you know that we've known each other for 12 years? Wow. I know. Twelve years, so that's two thousand nine, two thousand eight. Yeah, two thousand. Okay, well, it's the beginning of twenty twenty one. So maybe thirteen, technically. Oh my goodness, Porva, you acted in the video I shot at your house. Do you remember that? Oh or- my god! <laughs> yes, you did a Team Impala music video. Yeah, and we like tracked the string lights on your bedroom wall and you were just like moody and like listening to music yes I never saw the final product (laughs) I'll I'll try to find it but I just realized that I was like how did I first meet you like get to know you and that was like big part of it yes and I wore um I remember I was wearing your graphic tee (laughs) what was that for that video I must have been in school at the time. In college, I, right? Yeah, I had a, a DSLR camera and I must have been doing like some exercises. It was like a test for my end of the year project because I did something similar where someone hears a song and then they like go somewhere in their life. Oh, okay. So I wasn't the final product. I, <laughs> yeah, you were okay, the okay. thing. <laughs> Got it. Okay, so we're each other's guinea pigs. So yeah. that's great. Um, <laughs> Actually, the other thing that I was thinking about is, um, so I met you through my sister, of course, you're, you guys are really close. And I remember the first time that I found out that you were interested in filmmaking was when there was this um, filmmaking competition at lab in our high school. I do remember it. I remember it had some drama involved. I remember that too. (laughs) I remember my sister showed me the two finalists for the for the challenge it was you and someone else right. and she was so upset that yours <laughs> didn't win yeah it featured yael with stop motion animation oh, yeah i remember being like bummed out because i was like i'm about to leave the school you should just do it out of respect like this other kid other adult has a chance to do it again yeah i don't care totally moved on <laughs> my first heartbreak was yeah. labs film competition <laughs> So when do you think you started to realize that you were really interested in filmmaking? Was it around that time in high school or do you think a lot sooner? Hmm. I think honestly, it was watching Bend It Like Beckham, which, yeah, Bend It Like Beckham really stirred some feelings within me. And at first when I saw it, I thought it meant that I, like, because I was so moved, I thought it meant I was supposed to be a professional soccer player. So I joined soccer quickly learned that that was not the way. How old were you when you watched it? So it came out like 2003. I think I was really maybe 10 or 11. And it was just when we moved to the U.S. as well. So I think it like hit me at the perfect time and place of my life as being an immigrant and then um, trying to fit in and all of that, being a tween. And yeah, 
I think it was really a blessing that soccer didn't pan out the way I had to hope. <laughs> <laughs> because then you realized it was the film and not the, the soccer. Film. Yeah, that, that it, like, you can root for someone on screen and it's like completely all lies and it's you just feel it so strongly. Yeah. Yeah. So how did that like that first experience with Bendit like Beckham, how did that translate into you realizing maybe that it was filmmaking and mm-hmm. what were those first steps in exploring filmmaking? Yeah. So after soccer didn't pan out as planned, <laughs> school, I think um, having art teachers, Mr. Wildman, and just the space to and encouragement to like be creative. There's like a filmmaking club. Yeah. I think just even knowing it was an option and that you could like have fun with something and not have the pressure of like, I need to be good at it. That's kind of when it was like, oh, this is nice and freeing. I didn't even know there was a filmmaking club yeah. at our school. Wow. I guess I missed out on that. <laughs> it was a very small club. Yeah. How did you get into it? How did I get I into it? Never last. Yeah. I, um, I started acting when I was five or six. I was um I was at that age where my parents wanted me to try out a bunch of different activities. Mm-hmm. So we like shopped around, you know, like and I um we were in England at the time. So basically I tailed along with some of my friends to their after school activities. So I tried gymnastics, I tried ballet, and then one of my friends went to this um after school theater school and I like instantly just loved it. Wow. And I went to that theater school for about three years, three or four years before we moved to Chicago. Mm. So yeah, it was very, very early. Yeah. So you must have liked attention. You weren't like a shy kid, I imagine. I wasn't, but this is about you. (laughs) (laughs) So after that initial, um, after that initial realization in school and like realizing that film was something that was really fun for you to make, what steps did you take to make it into a career? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Almost an ongoing question. <laughs> All right, let me um, let me ask in a different way. When did you start, not necessarily like make it into a career, but when did you start seriously considering it as something mm-hmm. to study or dedicate a lot of time to? Yeah, I think um, college, because in high school, it was still a hobby. And then I went to school in New York and I... At Barnard. Like, yeah, Barnard. And I not so secretly was studying film, but like I, it was like still in the air that I might be pre-med. And um but once I was there, it was it was like there's no there's no going back. Like just being in the city and then the program itself, um it isn't strong on production, but they just dive really deeply into like film theory and history and like criticism that you just begin to appreciate it more. And it just enabled me to like geek out completely like, Oh, and people are equally as passionate about it in the classes. And yeah, I don't know. I feel like New York is, this is going to be pretty cheesy. (laughs) (laughs) I hate for it. Yeah. It feels it's like super cinematic. Like I feel like the way movies make it out to be is kind of true. Like it sort of lives up to that idealized um, version of itself with warts and all. Like you'll see rats, of course, but it's kind of a thing now where people accept it. Yeah. Yeah. Were there any teachers who you felt like really encouraged you to pursue it wholeheartedly and, mm-hmm. you know, take a step back from pre-med? Wow. Oh. In college, I, I don't think so. In college, I think a lot of professors wanted me to come to that decision more than them kind of encouraging me. And I actually appreciate that because I was kind of playing with fire and pretending I was pre-med for so long. It, I think it took me being like, uh-uh, this is what I want. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that because then it's very clear that you're doing it for you and from yourself, not because someone was like, hey, you're good at this. You should pursue it. And I've also learned that teachers, especially and mentors, like they want to help you, but they don't want to give you really decisive advice because then they're at fault. Yeah. And actually, I feel like to some degree, my professors were like, don't 
<laughs> don't do this. And really? I think it's a test. Yeah. I think because especially in the program that we were in, it was so abstract. Like it's good for like a liberal arts degree, but the translating it into a career is like nearly impossible. I studied film at U Chicago and our film curriculum was really similar. We never touched a camera. We did not talk about editing, producing anything like there were film clubs for that, but everything was like appreciating the full like cinematic experience and like writing papers. And like my thesis was not a film. It was a long paper. It was a, it was a written thesis. And yeah, I think I, now that I think about it, you're right. Like most of my teachers didn't think that so many of us in the program would actually go into film production. They Mm -hmm. thought we would go into academia. Yeah. 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 And I feel like film studying film kind of provides a lot of context to like history and like culture and like political, you know, changes in the world. There's so much you can learn through film and like film studies, like what was popular at the time. I did, now that I think about it. <laughs> One professor who was a grad student, he did like the technical classes. Mm-hmm where we like did film exercises where you starred in one of them. He okay. Was so encouraging. Like Garrett Henson, shout out to you. He was an actor in the Mighty Ducks who then pursued, I know. And I thought wow. it was the coolest thing. And then he, yeah, was in the MFA program. And he was so like, yeah, he wrote my recommendation letter to NYU. And wow. I think cause he was kind of closer to where I was in like trying to make it in film as a filmmaker, he he was more honest about things and like more encouraging. Whereas professors who are established in their positions in academia, they're like, eh, don't yeah. do it. <laughs> they're like, no, that's not the life I yeah. want. But yeah, that's cool. It does kind of just take like one person to just see, you know, what that path is like to follow it. Yeah. But I totally agree with you that I feel like I mean, obviously this is retrospective, but I do like that I got to study film more holistically because especially as an actor, I feel like you just get caught up in yourself and forget that there's so there's a way bigger picture. And usually like the project that you might be asked to be a part of has had a life so beyond when you start to work on it. And I think that really helped me. Can you pinpoint a specific moment where you felt like I know we talked about, you know, college and these classes and everything, but do you feel like there was a certain moment in your life where you kind of had to admit to yourself that like this was the only thing you could see yourself doing and that you wanted to just like bite the bullet and go for it? Yeah. I think in preparation for like our conversation, I've been thinking a lot about that. Like when was that moment? And I was like, okay, so Bend It Like Beckham happened and I got interested in film, but I think it was graduating college with the degree with the experience of like being able to play in film and then now having the degree and having to like prove its worth um and working as a PA in Chicago was definitely that moment where I was like this is awful but I'm doing it so it must (laughs) be the only thing I can do because I hated it so much, but there was no like turning back for me. Strange. Yeah. Can you um, tell me more about your experience being a PA? Thank goodness for Anjali, to be honest, because she was also in Chicago. My sister. And I think both of us were like recently graduated. We were trying to like figure our stuff out in Chicago. So I'm so glad that she was around. Um, It was so bad. I think so you worked you worked on Empire. I worked on Empire. Everyone there is amazing. It's a great show. I love the show. <laughs> like the people are like, yeah, they're hardworking and um I'm so glad they gave me this opportunity to because literally to put it on my resume and to like even think about this experience and all the things that I've learned. It's yeah, great. But I was an awful PA. Um it's just you have to work well under pressure. Um, I take things very personally. So if someone like looks at me the wrong way, I'll just like start to cry. <laughs> I completely understand. And 
you can't be like that as a PA. You just have to be like thick skinned and ready to go all the time. The hours were like really awful. And I just remember like driving downtown and like getting lost on Lower Wacker where like you lose signal and like all of that and all to like deliver this cup of coffee to someone. It just didn't make sense to me that it felt so high stakes doing these very like low stakes activities and you're just like a true director (laughs) (laughs) i can visualize this moment in my head (laughs) it's true yeah and people don't respect you yeah i what you said about having a thick skin i've been thinking about that a lot because i was listening to this interview with sarah goldberg she's um she's the lead actress on barry and she was talking about how it's so weird in an industry where as an artist, you're expected to like, you know, be really vulnerable and like wear your heart on your sleeve in order to create art that's relatable. But then two seconds later, you have to have like the thickest skin in the world to handle the criticism. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult. Um, what, how did you deal with those moments where you felt like you were letting everyone down and, you know, (laughs) someone looked at you the wrong way. How did you overcome those and still think, no, this is what I want to do? I like, it sort of lit the fire under my butt to like apply to grad school. And I think that was a really helpful thing to be looking forward to something being like, okay, this is temporary. Although in the moment it just feels like it's forever. And like, I didn't see how I could climb that ladder up to kind of reach where I wanted to be. So I think it was just knowing that it was temporary and I didn't last long. Like I think one PA job, I was fired. (laughs) Um, This was after working at Empire. I think I was recommended to this other new show and it was just starting out and it's actually still airing and going strong. Um, But yeah, I was fired. I was just, I moved slowly. And actually saying all of this out loud, I'm like, how did I get into film? Because it's right, like on set, you just have to be like moving quickly and like loud. And but yeah, being a PA, I don't know. Yeah, not for me. When you were applying to grad school, did you have your eyes always set on NYU, or um, was it like NYU or nothing? Or did you sort of cast a wide net about where you wanted to be? Um, I think at the time, I NYU was number one for sure. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it was like the the filmmakers that I had admired were there. And I think because I had studied um, like film theory, I wanted to do something more production focused. And I loved New York, so I didn't look at schools in California. But oh, okay. Yeah, so I think I knew like New York, so NYU was one. Um, Columbia was another. Um, Northwestern, they have a screenwriting program so I applied to that and at the end of the day I think I was choosing between Northwestern and NYU and yeah Northwestern was appealing because it was in Chicago I'd be by family and yeah and do you feel like Chicago I know you talked about New York being very cinematic but I feel like Chicago is also a big source of inspiration for you right what is it about Chicago that you feel like draws you to write stories Mm -hmm. about I think Hyde Park is an amazing place and I don't know if it's because I've just grown up there and like you know when you're a child you just look at everything like with these big doe eyes and think that it's like the best thing ever but to be honest I'm like a fake Chicagoan <laughs> like I think we've talked about this before how like me and my group of friends in school were like we would go to a park and then like come <laughs> back home <laughs> and that was like our outing on the weekends. You guys did do a lot of picnics. A lot of picnics. <laughs> You know, walk to the lake, look at the lake. Like, thank goodness for the lake. That was like our main, you know, <laughs> activity. But how cool because, you know, the like most important scene or one of the most important scenes in Winning in America is at the lake where you spent so much time. Yeah, that's true. Speaking of Winning in America. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about, you know, when you finished college, you realized that it was time to to really pursue filmmaking and you tried being a PA and then you went, decided to go to grad school. What else do you feel like with those first wins? Because I feel like those first couple years and I'm in that place right now, like everything feels daunting, but there's like small wins along the way. 
that push you to keep going? Do what were those wins for you? I'm so glad you said that. Like talking about the small wins is so important because I think there's like that story, right? Of like you grind so hard and then eventually something will turn up, but you do really need like those small little nudges forward. I think getting into NYU was a big win for me and another win during that time, just meeting people and working with them. Like I feel like a lot of my friends are so talented and being the petty person that I am, I thought that I would be like jealous and like, I'm sure there's definitely competition, oh, yeah. but you know, it's just inevitable. But I think I'm more like excited by them, which I think is good. Yeah. So I think that was a win. Another win. I've been struggling to find the wins <laughs> currently. Wrapping we up are in a, pandemic, in a so. pandemic. It's challenging. I've been looking desperately for them though. Like, I think you're so right. We need those things um, as motivators. Yeah. And it can be anything. It can be like getting into school, which is obviously a big one, or like just a conversation with someone. And I like what you said. I mean, I think having a community around you that you feel inspired by is like so key. So in being able to keep going. Very unfortunate sometimes that this industry like pits you against each other. But at the end of the day, there's no reason why you know, everyone can't succeed together. You're so right. I'm actually painting NYU and myself as very good natured. I I was actually like seething with jealousy a lot of the time. And because you're so right, like even in this educational space where you're like learning to collaborate and you're encouraged to make mistakes, you truly were aware, like who were the favorites and it felt like there were limited resources. Someone got this grant or a professor you know, said this thing about someone's script. Um, that's so true. But speaking of like the conversations with people as wins, I it's so funny. I had a conversation with someone I looked up to so much in school just this morning and nothing really came out of it, but you're so, it does feel like a win. It's because they're Yeah, just, it's like that little burst of energy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What yeah. was your win today? Did you have a win today? I actually did have a win today, Amrita, 10 minutes before our call. Um, So my agent, they only represent me for theatrical, so like on camera and theater. And I had been mustering up the courage for a couple of weeks to ask them to represent me for voiceover. And now they are. Wow. Which is, I literally saw that email, right? Because I was just checking to see if the link was okay for you to join our call. (laughs) And I saw that and I was like, oh my God. Perfect timing, too, because pandemic, like, you want to be doing that voiceover work. Yes, exactly. So while you were in, while you were at NYU for film, I wanted, I'm so curious to learn more about your short film, The Soma Sundarams. (laughs) I've actually never, I'm so sad I've never seen it. But um, for those of you who don't know, Amrita's short film, The Soma Sundarams, screened at the Chicago South Asian Film Festival and the New York Women in Film and Television Festival. Amazing. What was the inspiration behind that film? And can you talk to us a little bit about what that film is about and what it means to yeah. you? Yeah, I'm really proud of that film, actually. it's It was made in part of my first year program at NYU, where this was the first time we were um, allowed to use dialogue. And so it was a test to like... You weren't allowed to use dialogue? Yeah, up until that point. It was all visually focused storytelling. Okay. And... Yeah, I think I wrote something that, like, I, I didn't write it to impress anyone. And I think that was the the winning recipe for something that I feel proud of. Because um, it's about this recently wed couple who are in an arranged marriage, um, find themselves in the U.S. And they're, they grow closer together um, during their green card interview when they're being asked these questions that they otherwise wouldn't have shared one-on-one with each other. But with this other person, they begin to learn more about each other. Um, and so the it's inter- almost film like a documentary? Kind of. I'm like hesitant to claim it because I think that shows that like I intended that. Right, <laughs> like, right. I think I was still learning more like about style. I think I just did justice to my characters, which I'm really proud of. And it was like, yeah, seven-minute film. You included dialogue. It was an exercise 
and the fact that like I was really proud of it even though it wasn't like an official short film yeah I had no idea it was something that you did for class because I remember Mm -hmm. you mentioned that um one of your assignments in a class was to shoot a short film with just two people Mm -hmm. and I was like who how would you do that I didn't know that was this project so that's really cool I you talked about like this um in that film, the Somas and the Rams, that you were really focused on the relationship and like how these people hadn't communicated with each other so mm-hmm. much and now these things were coming out. How do you feel like that may have influenced your directorial style or how would you describe your style? I'm so glad you asked that question because, <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot as a recent graduate, um, reflecting on all the things that I made. And that film does stand out to me in what I want to say as a filmmaker with and I think because again I didn't try so hard I was just like experimenting it came out more naturally than maybe my other films I think what my style as a filmmaker includes like reading between the lines and mining for meaning and the things that are often left unsaid so it's in the silences that like speak volumes and I feel like it's very culturally specific to being a brown person (laughs) Yeah, and like how we're raised right like there's a certain amount of withholding and that that's one of those things where I feel like there are a lot of challenges when it comes to being South Asian in an industry that was previously not open to us mm-hmm. and there are challenges to it but there's so many advantages too. like what you just said it's like being able to draw on culturally specific experiences that haven't really been explored yeah. And do you feel like there are certain challenges that you've had to face as a South Asian female director? And do you think any of those challenges have sort of influenced how you behave on set or when you're pitching um, pitching an idea? Oh, yes, yes, yes. The biggest challenge I've personally faced as a South Asian woman director would be juggling other people's expectations of me with what I think I should be doing. So it's a combination of like self-imposed pressure and external expectations. Yeah. So like people sort of have an idea of what they think you're going to make because of your background. And I remember we talked about this when um, we saw each other. You mentioned that you felt like as a South Asian writer, writing your short films, you felt like you had to portray this kind of tired idea of India And that's not like, you know, the majority of your experience is here. Um, So how have you been able to fight that noise and really just make what you want to make? I think it's, yeah, it's still an ongoing thing, especially as I, I like can't help but notice that the, most of the projects that I see achieve success tend to fall into that lane. So it's really like choosing to forgo something that's a given. Even Benda, like Beckham, it's amazing, I think. Yeah, it's clear I'm a fan, but... Me too. Right? (laughs) It's a good film, but part of me does push back on, like, is this all we're allowed to make? Like, playing into these stereotypes of the very critical parents and repressive culture. Of course, the film is a lot more than that, and I think it's successful because it does resonate with us and shows a lot of, like, nuance. But I do feel limited in what I can explore and feeling kind of bitter about it because it's also true. Like I did just make a spelling bee film (laughs) and leaned into that world. So I guess my goal is to show that there's way more to us than that. Yeah, with the spelling bee film, I kind of played into the stereotype or flirted with the stereotype that she's this goody two-shoes who's looking for validation from her parents, but she's also a brat. Like she, she's pretty rebellious. Yeah. yeah. And to show that rebel, yeah, to be rebellious in another way than like the outwardly, like, fuck you mom and dad, it could be like something else. And yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. I, um, I recently watched the cut of winning in America and I Well, first of all, something really cool about the film is that most of the actors didn't have a lot of acting experience. Even still, I was so impressed with the main character, Aishwarya, 
Because even in that first scene, you could start to see the rebellion coming through. Mm -hmm. And it was something I didn't even pick up on when I first read your script. But when I watched it, I saw this through line of this like little acts of rebellion building up to the final scene or um, building up to when she answers the final question at the spelling bee. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to applaud you for that because Um, I thought it was so beautiful. Thank you. That means so much, especially coming from an actor like you. (laughs) That means a lot. Also, your dad was so good. He's good, no? I think, yeah. Yeah, I think he in another life is an actor. (laughs) I mean, I had a moment, I watched a number of that, and I was like, why have I been studying acting? Like, this man is natural. (laughs) He's just so good. He's dramatic. He's a dramatic dude, so I think it, like, comes pretty naturally to him. I mean, you were there on set. (laughs) (laughs) You you saw stuff go down. Yeah. And um, the other thing about the silence, I mean, he didn't have a lot of lines Mm -hmm. really, but he did such a great job. I mean, and also this is a testament to you as a director, but the the way he was able to like build tension in silence, Mm -hmm. I was really impressed. Wow, thank you. Really impressed. And speaking of winning in America and your directorial style, something that I really appreciated by being on set with you during the film was just seeing how your approaches, especially to working with actors. And I love that you tried to like build a very intimate connection with your actors. Whenever you like were giving them notes, you always went close and sort of whispered, not whispered the note, but shared it (laughs) between the two of you. So it wasn't like, hey, everyone on set, like, okay, Aishwarya, that sucked. Here's your note. It was very private. And I loved that. And I was so curious to know where that came from inside of you, because you're right. Like usually when we think about a director, we think of this sort of tyrant or someone who like is very commanding and overwhelming. But I feel like there's a shift away from that in general in the industry. And I, w- I was reading um, Ken Kwapis's book. Yeah. He was, yeah. Um, and he was talking about his approach and I felt like yours was very similar. So I was wondering where that came from. Wow. Shout out again to Anjali, who gifted me the Ken Kwapis book. Wait, me too. (laughs) I think, no, just a random, maybe, yeah. Was it the autographed (laughs) copy? Yeah. Me too. (laughs) Okay, um, double gifter. (laughs) But great gift. Have you finished the book? I haven't, but I'm I'm loving it so much. Because you're so right. I think that was my biggest insecurity at NYU. I was like, I am not. A director like these other people are directors like I'm shy and I'm quiet so I think that's where it comes from it comes from like a perceived weakness that I'm hoping can be a, like a true strength absolutely um, yeah because right you I've seen directors just like I guess it's to each their own because I've seen them be really successful at that as well and yeah I think I really appreciate you saying that so thank you of course I I really value it because you know, giving a performance is a really vulnerable thing to do. And when you feel like your director is on your side and really wants it, you know, on your side, not just because they want the film to succeed, but because they want you to succeed, Mm -hmm. it really encourages you. I think my dad definitely tested me though. And I feel like (laughs) (laughs) I really do remember where like one part, like the scene by the lake, which was a tough day. I wasn't there that day. It was a real tough day. Just because it was like a big scene and like we needed to spend time outside. Outside, it was so, I feel bad, yeah, for the sound guy who to deal with traffic from Lakeshore Drive as well as the water. But I was just like yelling at my dad, like, no, just do it again. (laughs) And I could claim that it helped anger him and, you know, added to the scene but it was purely out of just like this is annoying and frustrating and I think actually the mother character shiny um yeah she at one point was like you should get a a megaphone because they couldn't hear you Kieran um who was an assistant camera had to like say my what I was saying and project it louder he was your megaphone. He was my megaphone, which feels kind of powerful as a woman, but also not because it's like I had my voice taken away. Your <laughs> so, voice was being filtered, literally. 
So when you um, when you start a project, how what do, is there like a certain checklist that you go through to map out a scene? Are there things that you prioritize when you're trying to visualize what the film is going to look like to take it from script to film? Yeah, I think that a lot of the visualization for me happens beforehand, like in finding inspiration for the script. Um, and the translation from script to screen is really working with the actors. That's at least at the student level, because that's more of what you can control. Um, I'd like to challenge myself, though, to put in that same prep with my collaborations with the DP and production designer. I think, yeah, really investing in that development time is important. So for you, like making sure that you know who your actors are going to be before you go to make a shot list or something is really important so that you can sort of like flesh out your characters together. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Like knowing as much as you can beforehand and just being okay with it, not really panning out, being flexible, but at least doing the preparation for your own like sanity and understanding of the project. Yeah. And how do you, so there's always things that are going to go wrong or, require some changes. And obviously that happened with winning in America too. There were things that you wanted that there were just things out of our control that made it impossible to achieve. So how do you deal with, how do you deal with having to reroute your initial vision? This is going to sound so like (laughs) flippant, but being on set is hard, right? And I love that I get to do this, but being on set is not the most fun thing for me, even in the director's seat. Um, so when something challenges me on set and it doesn't seem to be going my way, I I don't I'm easy I'm quicker to compromise than I think a lot of other directors who will be like, no, we need to do another take, we need to do this, we need to. And that's something I want to find a better balance in because I think I'm kind of too um agreeable with things and sort of like ah, it'll work itself out like we'll just make the most of this um and I feel torn about that because like my dad is an example of that um he stepped in because we couldn't find an actor in some ways that could be me like compromising but I'm after having gone through this and seeing what he did I feel like I can't imagine the film otherwise in a way so it's tricky. I think, I think, yeah, you just really need to listen to your gut and like trust your instincts. If something isn't working, I'm trying to think if that happened in winning in America where I just, I did do that. I think I like just left. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> I like walked away <laughs> during a when? break. It was oh, okay. Auditorium scene. I was just like, I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> it's like, too much to like try to keep track of and it was the announcer like we were spending so much time Apoorva you remember remember. on the announcer hitting the bell Mm -hmm. and I was like this shot may not even be in the film and I don't want to spend like five hours on this and like directing and also he wasn't like how many ways can you hit a bell like apparently a lot Apparently a lot. <laughs> they kind of all look the same to me. And um, I wish I put my foot down more, but I just like kind of walked away and my producer came to me. We had a chat and I was like, we need to move on. <laughs> like, this, we can't, can't direct this better. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's another one of those things though, where something that could be a perceived weakness is actually a strength because I mean, there's going to be so many situations where you have to compromise, but sometimes I feel like what comes out of a compromise is even better than what you imagined. Yeah. And I feel like I've definitely experienced that too. For example, um, so my web series that we were going to film got canceled because of COVID. So what we decided to do was rewrite one of the episodes, which had like 30 people in it and rewrite it to just have four people in it and I thought the later version with just four people was so much better wow and so I feel like sometimes it really works out because it pushes you yeah 
yeah, I've definitely, I think NYU teaches us that as well, where it's like um, restrictions tend to make you more creative. Like doing a film with just two actors, you like imagine more of the possibilities or doing something with that dialogue forces you to really like focus on what you do have and make the most of it. Yes, exactly. Like sometimes the constraints are mm-hmm. helpful because otherwise it, having having endless possibilities is daunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I totally hear you. A lot of your films you've written yourself and directed yourself. How does it compare when you go to direct a project or work um work on a crew on a project for something someone else has written? It's cool. <laughs> you like it? <laughs> I like it. I think Again, I just find being on set hard, but I love collaborating with people. Like, I just hate that it has to be like 16 hours a day subsisting off of like crackers on the crafty table. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) like that's the stuff I don't like. This is why we need to get into the big budget world because then we'll have hot crafty meals. It'll be great. But for now. (laughs) Yeah, for now we're just exploiting our peers. Yeah. I think it and I learned so much from being on other people's sets. It's like taught me how because I've never directed before. Like I don't know how you can even learn directing other than to like see it or do it. Um and some of my classmates like embody like vastly different styles than I do. Yeah, I've learned a lot from being on other people's sets, especially doing sound, you're kind of a fly on the wall anyway. And such an intimate way to like learn about actors because you can literally hear them saying also when they don't like what the director said, they'll just be like, oh my God, you know, like I can catch that. Yeah. Yeah. Would you ever let someone else direct something you wrote? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Like as soon as he said that, I like, that would be so cool. Yeah. Um, Sweta, Sophia. Hit me up, direct my film. <laughs> That's awesome. That's something I'm trying to overcome myself is that when I write, I exclusively write for me. Like I always, I mean, I, there's other characters, obviously, but like I write with the goal of having me be in it. And I think that is very mature to be able to write <laughs> something and then give it away to someone else. So I aspire to be that mature. So now you also mentioned that you're working on a new project, Water Tank Road. How has it been to develop a feature versus a short film? And where did you find the inspiration for this project? And if you can tell us a little bit more about it. It sounds amazing. Thank you, Fern. So yeah, feature films. Wow, what a mystery to me. It's crazy that I went to film school and it's still (laughs) (laughs) like I thought I would know how to do this. yeah, feature films are like a whole nother animal, and I'm just now dipping my toes in it. And what's inspiring me with Water Tank Road, I think, is just daydreaming about Nagarquil, which is where my grandmother lives in India. And Water Tank Road is the street she lives on. And yeah, it's, again, so ripe for like, the imagination, I hate to use the word cinematic, but again, I think Nagaquil is like that. They have these yeah. lush mountains and small sort of city center, and there's so much history there. The producer side of me, um, checking in with myself that a lot of first feature films tend to be international productions, I think. Cause that's really? What, yeah, or like that gives you a leg up if you can draw from that as an American filmmaker in independent cinema, like I've noticed that people travel to like really unique places for smaller budget films because the location itself does a lot of the work. Like you don't need to buy a set. You're really relying on just yeah. like a shot of this beautiful view. So it's a combination of, cause I have another feature film, which is inspired by my thesis film of like following this family in a mockumentary so it's like a little bit more um, comedic and exaggerated like the extent to which children compete on these things but I don't know I feel like it's time to focus on water tank road also because I miss India I think just just all been stuck at home it's nice to imagine a place completely different than this I miss it too it's been a while since we've been since because of COVID Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited. It sounds really cool. 
What is your um, writing schedule like? What is your day-to-day schedule like? How do you make time for your art? Great questions. Great questions. <laughs> Such an important question. I recently transitioned into full-time work, which is exciting because I need to get that income in. Get it. Yeah. And luckily it's in the film world and working with a company that is aligned with my larger mission as a filmmaker and lovely team of people. This is Cern Media. Yeah, Cern Media. Wait, how do you pronounce it? Cern? Cern, yeah. So it's like the, I think based off of like the Greek mythology of the siren. Greek uh, okay, mythology. yes. But it's with the Y to be cool and trendy. Ooh, okay, got it. <laughs> okay, si- Siren Media. Siren Media, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what is your um, work like there? It's mostly administrative work. And I had this really interesting conversation with my boss because as I transitioned into full-time, I was asking her, like, is there a potential to um, move from being an assistant to, like, a more creative minded position and being the amazing boss that she is she like checked in with me and said or asked is this something you see yourself doing long term like aren't you going to try to be a working filmmaker and I was like oh right like (laughs) so interesting so she sort of put you back on your course right because I I was so worried about like being in this time being back home I was like, I just need a job. I just need a job. I just need a job. And it's so interesting that like I was about to forego like the dream to um, get some stability. So it's a really important question that you ask. And I think that means having a very like diligent schedule with writing, which I do not have. Um, But I don't know about you. It's also such a weird time to be motivated yeah Um, for me I really like taking classes because it helps me have a deadline um I was diligent for a while about writing like 45 minutes a day or something like that but it didn't work it didn't happen for very long and I honestly don't think it worked that well for me I kind of prefer doing it in spurts first so do you ever have a day um I have this very weird thing where I always want to write just before I fall asleep. Um, Are there, when you have like a burst of an idea, do you just like hunker down and just get out of as much of it as you can and then come back to it? I think I like you. I'm more spurt driven, burst spurts. (laughs) And um, I guess it just gets harder once you start working though, because it's like you can't really make the time is much like you are following a certain schedule. Um, I really like early morning writing with like a cup of coffee and no yeah. one's awake, especially when I'm at home. Yeah. You know, I think that's like the one time where it, I don't know about you, when I feel like there are other people around, it just gets in my head for some reason. They don't have to be with me in the room, but I'm like distracted immediately. Yeah, my um, one writing teacher that I took a class with, he always said that you're your least self-conscious in the morning. Mm. And so he always wrote in the morning before anyone in his house woke up. I can relate. I would have to wake up at 4 a.m. in order to do that because my dad wakes up so early. (laughs) So what time do you do it? I had one recently where I woke up at like 5 a.m. Oh, my God. It was so good. though. I was like well-rested. And what I time did you go to sleep? I must have been like 11, 10 or 11. Wow. So not the most amount of sleep, but like I didn't wake up in the middle of the night and it was amazing. It was like still dark out. and That sounds picturesque. <laughs> and then you were able to just write for like two hours before work. Yeah. And then I applied to a, a writing program slash development lab for a water tank road actually oh wow yeah. okay um what what did they need you to submit did you submit a first draft or an outline oh just an outline and then like a visual lookbook which was so fun to make and um I had my interview this past week and it, I think it was really good yeah it was wow great. congratulations thank you yeah we'll see I think I found that next week 
Mm-hmm. So this fellowship would provide you with the resources to make the film? No. Oh. <laughs> that would be amazing. This fellowship is like a year-long workshop where basically it's a writing workshop. So you'll get feedback. And there is a pitch session where you pitch it to potential investors, but there's no guarantee of like getting the finances to make it. Got it. Okay. But it's it gives you the tools to put it in front of someone else and get yeah. feedback. Sort of what you were saying about the classes and like accountability and just like having deadlines. Um, yeah. The structure. They're the so helpful. Yeah. Isn't it crazy that you have to apply even for that? And it's, it's crazy competitive. It's not even like they're going to finance the movie. Yeah. They really be doing the most out here. <laughs> Sometimes it's crazy. I don't know. What would your ideal future look like, Amrita, as the filmmaker? What would that look like? Would you be teaching as well? Would you be writing? Would you be directing? What does that look like? Let's manifest it. Let's do it. Did you make your vision board for 2021? I made a I made a goals list. Nice. Yeah. I'm very list oriented. Yeah. Do you have a bullet journal? No, I don't. But I, I have this new planner. I really like that question because then it just like, yeah, enables you to daydream. Um, the dream is to be in a writer's room uh, for a comedy show after having made Water Tank Road and been listed as a filmmaker to watch. But like, I'm like, nah, I'm just going to go do some comedy writing because I have the option to and I'll go back into filmmaking when the time is right. And yeah, to be paid to do what I love is, I think, the future goal. I would love to continue teaching as well. But I think to be realistic, it's better to like sort of focus in on one thing and that would be to be a working writing writer director I love how specific that is too that you thought about when that can happen Mm. I would love that too maybe we can do it together yeah you can act in it too yes okay so we'll (laughs) write it we'll act it we'll direct it what do you feel like representation means to you because I feel like there's so many different versions Mm -hmm. of it and I'm really interested to hear your perspective as a director as someone behind the screen what representation what representation means on a larger scale you know, off camera. Yeah, I think our conversation, I think, touches on the importance of representation. Like, even as a director, I carry a lot of baggage with me about perceptions, like being perceived as a shy woman, shy Indian woman, which then might imply that I'm submissive and all of these other things of who I am and, like, what is expected of me. Yeah, representation on behind the scenes is like liberating perspectives and it's just like having so much content out there that is done by so many different people and um, empowering so many different voices that it is you aren't defined by just one film or project I don't know if you feel this way but like yeah bend it like Becca again or even like Mindy Kaling like we do are inspired by them but, but they carry a lot of burden and responsibility too. Right? Like I think we've talked about this too informally as how I'm not a huge fan of Never Have I Ever, but I'm still so amazed that it exists and we should be allowed to have options. Um, and I think that just leads to better storytelling, right? You're just going to have get better at the craft. You're going to be less focused on having to explain yourself and the identity behind it and just yeah, learn something new about the person. Yeah, I like that perspective. So it's like having the freedom to tell whatever story you want and not have that carry the weight of how like an entire minority is perceived for the next 10 years. Yeah, and I am of the mindset that art is inherently political. And so it does have like a responsibility attached to it inevitably. Um so there is like an urgency to like achieve equity in all departments of the film industry, I believe, because yeah, like I think the art depends on it. You can't have just the same old story, the same old people telling the 
right? Yeah. And you can't just get away with having the representation on screen where Mm -hmm. everyone can see it, but not behind. Because it's hard. I mean, I feel like people create their best work when they feel in an they're in an environment where they feel encouraged and accepted. And yeah. Yes. yeah. Yeah. And even for me, I'm I'm thinking about like I've been in a lot of improv classes, specifically comedy classes tend to be very white. And I don't mm-hmm. feel like I have the freedom to play in the way I want to. Um And the first time I got to improvise with other actors of color, other improvisers of color, I just felt so much more open. And Mm. I feel like that translates, like, if you're the only BIPOC actor in a crew, in a cast, and then also everyone on the crew is white, like, you're not going to feel supported. So I do feel like it has to be on both ends. Yeah. And And like, in the executives, too. Mm -hmm. So they're not... Given weird notes about (laughs) they're giving weird notes that's exactly it I think it doesn't just having it on screen doesn't necessarily translate because you can always tell when it's like a little off what is a piece of advice that you would give to aspiring directors to people who um to people who haven't made that commitment to themselves yet to really pursue an artistic career I think I'm going to steal something that my sister taught me my big sis which is yeah um don't self-reject like just try and let the other people reject you but at least put it out there and like give yourself the chance to do it I think I've felt the effects of self-rejecting myself (laughs) um like I look back on the time that in being at NYU and I could have taken more risks in the space of learning. I could have submitted my films to all these festivals and um, maybe something would have landed somewhere, but I would just be like, no, no, it's not there. It's, um, yeah, I think it's important to just give yourself a chance. A <laughs> poor was crying, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's really beautiful. And yeah, it's like, don't, critique yourself before you've even given yourself a chance. Speaking of your sister, how did your family first react to you wanting to become a director? So I wrote your questions down and like I answered it. That answer is literally like three pages long. (laughs) (laughs) I had so much fun. Oh my gosh. It's so, it was not easy. And it's funny to think about it and like talk about representation because I Part of me is like, yeah, we shouldn't fall into these stereotypes and like challenge them when really my experience was kind of in line with that. Like the pressure to become a doctor was very real. Um, I think playing with the idea of doing pre-med also hurt me in the long run because, you know, you're just teasing your parents and it made film seem like a hobby. But now I, I think when I showed I was serious about it, there's not much more you can do. Like you get older and they can't really, it's really up to you to just, at least in my case, um, lead the charge on that. And my parents finally came around. I I think it was also important for me to remember for my parents, any um, criticism they had about my career, it was like coming, not coming from a place of ill will. It was just out of fear of the unknown, like wanting to protect me and uh, make sure that I had a stable career in the long run. Parents don't want to see us get hurt. They don't want to see us. I think especially in immigrant parents where the fear of failure is like that much higher. How did you approach that conversation with them? Or was it a conversation or did it kind of happen naturally where you moved away from pre-med and into film? Yeah, that. And I think literally being physically away was very important for me. Um, I got more confident being in New York seeing other people my age going all going all in on their dreams and I think my parents seeing me slog on empire was also (laughs) important because they're like oh she's committed yeah (laughs) she's waking up with these weird hours and like she's miserable but she's she's doing it so and like now I can say my dad acted in my thesis film like it's this amazing like circle of life (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's really cool. And I love that they got that chance to see you work so hard at something and like see you dedicate yourself to something, even though it was hard, but still like it's just you can't you can't live without it. You can't live without filmmaking. Yeah. My last question is, what are your hobbies? One of the biggest challenges I faced is that when you make your hobby into a career, you don't have hobbies anymore because you dedicated all of your extra time to doing that. So what are your hobbies now, if you have any? Okay, this is really freaky because right before you asked this question, I was thinking to myself, I want to add a piece of advice to that earlier question of what I would tell aspiring directors. And that is to have other (laughs) hobbies. Yeah. It is so important because I was of the mindset that like, if you were really serious about something, you do it 100% of the time. And I don't think that's the way to go. I think you need to be a well, especially in film, a well-rounded person. So you know what you even want to like share your stories on. Right. Like what, what else is there to write about if all you think about all day is film? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think I realized that until this time like being forced to be in like at home same and right you're just really stuck with (laughs) um so what are my hobbies I it's so funny to ask this (laughs) I literally went um on wikipedia to like look up (laughs) because I are hobbies and apparently like so reading reading is a hobby okay okay what kind of books do you like I like uh, fiction books and period pieces. Have you <laughs> read Bridgerton? It's a book. Like all great TV and film, it was a book first. <laughs> wow, I for sure thought it was just a, a Shonda Rhimes show because it's like so scandalous. I know. <laughs> I'm sure they upped the scandal, but it was a book. Yeah. I haven't. Have you read it? No. That's <laughs> <laughs> too many. <laughs> What are the hobbies? Drawing? I like to draw. I was going to say, I felt like I had seen you draw before. But I don't know what else. What are hobbies, Apoorva? What are their, like, I guess being active is important, but I'm not good at that. Yoga. I feel like often we think of hobbies as having to be creative, but I don't think they have. I mean, read it. Like, really being a reader is a hobby. I mean, it can also be a job. You can work at a publishing house and then it becomes a job. True. My last question is, is there any work that we can shout out? Where can we find your work? Is there anything we can watch? Give it to me. I want to elevate. I want to expose your work. Let's see. What can I plug? Um, Yeah. Everything's hidden (laughs) because of who I am. But let's see. What do I have? Winning in America. TBT. Not TBT. TBD. We'll see. I have high hopes for it. So that you can't share publicly, right? Because it's in, it might be in festivals. Yeah, it might be in festivals. Um, Brown Girl Magazine might write up about us. Yeah. Oh. My like um, Kickstarter video. Actually, I don't know if this can be included, but they shipped and reached out. So hopefully once it gets places, maybe we can plug. I will release my films. Okay. I will use this time to get them out in the world. Look out for the name. Okay. I'm missing. What's your middle name? Sanjana. Because there's an actor named Amrita Singh, so we can't say that. Oh, everyone follows Siren Media. It's a great resource on representation in the media. Okay. So follow Siren Media and look out for Winning in America for when it is public re- publicly released. And hopefully look out for the Soma Sundarams. Syndromes. We've got Thank You Come Again, um, America's BFFs. Can we find them on Vimeo or on a website? Yeah, it'll be on Vimeo and a website to be constructed. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, look out for Amrita Sanjana Singh. Amrita, <laughs> thank you so much. I had so much fun talking to you, and I'm so excited to see what else you work on. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I feel very empowered and I'm very lucky to know you. No. So thank you. Thank you so much, Amrita. And that was the Brown Breakdown. 
Thank you so much for listening today. I hope Amrita's journey is helpful in some way to you. If you or someone you know is interested in being on the podcast, you can reach out to us on Instagram at The Brown Breakdown. We'll see you next time.